This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here, man. Uh, I hope you're having a good day. Talk to me. The real Jason Duncan. What's the word? It is a beautiful day in Nashville, Tennessee on uh, this Friday when we're recording. So it's a it's a good day. It's a busy day. I've got four podcasts that I'm doing today. So it's a, <laughs> it's a busy day on the microphone behind the, or in front of the camera. So it's good, though. Yeah, man. Okay. So this isn't your first rodeo, as they say. <laughs> right. No, man. Uh, a lot of people are stepping into this game and wondering what's going on with it in terms of being able to use it as a as a platform to communicate, whether it's ideas, stories, narratives, research. Uh, before I dive into all of that that I'm trying to get to here, but we do have a tradition around here, and that is Asking if you yourself come from a family of entrepreneurs, business owners. No, I do not. My dad, um, my dad worked for AT&T for 20 plus years. He was also retired Navy reserves for 20 plus years. Mom was a stay at home mom. Um, His parents, uh, his mom was a stay at home mom for most of her life, but she worked for a uh, Genesco, which is a shoe company in Nashville for a little while on the switchboard. And then his dad, my grandfather worked for, uh, the post office. And then my other, my mom's parents, he was, uh, you know, he worked for TVA for years and years and years. So yeah, that, like, like there's nobody, I, I mean, I don't know how far I'd have to go back to find somebody who was a business owner or entrepreneur. Now my grandfather on my mom's side, he, they had a little, uh, catering truck like a trailer, you know, they would take, we call them food trucks now, but it was a, back then they didn't call them that, but it was just this little catering trailer that they took to auctions and made hamburgers and barbecue sandwiches. And, and uh, I remember working there as a kid, you know, going with them on the weekends, but no, there's no entrepreneurs in my family that I'm aware of. Wow. First of all, you, you made me hungry. Just talking about that. <laughs> burgers, burgers, to Bentley's. There's the name of the show. Hey. Yeah. yeah. No Bentley's in my garage, though. <laughs> so, so you you grow up watching this, experiencing this, and then at, at what point in your life does uh, does it start to take shape or start to take hold of your mind that you're going to be doing something just a little bit different? Well, it was uh, in twenty in twenty ten. Um, I was uh, was teaching school, taught eighth grade American history, and I was I was more fulfilled than than anything I'd ever done up to that point in my life. I loved teaching school and uh, coming into the great, you know, coming through the great recession, the school district that I worked for, like most around the country were struggling because of lack of, you know, funding and they had to cut teachers. And even though I was the number one teacher in the County, I found myself not getting my teaching contract renewed for the following year due to lack of tenure, last guy hired, you know, last in first out type thing. 
And I was at a crossroads, had to make a decision about what to do different. So I didn't get to sit and contemplate, should I go start a business or should I not? It was almost like, if I don't, I won't survive. So that's what I did. And and uh, so I started a business and, and gave myself a deadline and said, if I don't hit, if I don't make money by this certain date, which was the last day I was getting paid from the county as a teacher, if I don't make money by then, I'll, I've got to go get, quote, a real job somewhere, work at Starbucks or Lowe's or wherever, you know, I can get a, <laughs> I could get, a, I could get a job. So, um, so that's how I got started. I was an accidental entrepreneur, unemployed school teacher and, and, uh, it's been a phenomenal ride. Man, that's wicked. It's it never surprises me to hear the amount of uh sort I'm looking for overcoming that a teacher has to do in our modern society. Like to this very day, I am shocked when I hear of like how the people who are supposed to shape the minds of our kids and 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 the generations that come after how they're treated and how that's viewed in society and yet you know they're one of the first things to be cut back on it i just don't understand it um it's it can't be easy i i have many teachers who when i was coming out of high school told me i told them i wanted to be a teacher and they're like don't do it it's well the, you know the government the government is uh they, for a living they make bad decisions that's all they do <laughs> um you know i, I stopped watching the news over a decade ago and uh the people who watch the news are the stressed out ones who always feel like the world's falling out around them and the news is just the puppet is the sound piece is the mouthpiece for the bad decisions that have been made and so i don't watch it i don't i don't buy into it and in the teaching and the educational system like you were talking about man it's the same thing. They're, they're, um, you know, they, they make bad decisions and they're, they're, there's an agenda behind why they're doing the crap that they're doing in our classrooms. And I used to be naive enough to think that it's just, oh, the system's just, you know, it's just a big system. There's good people. No, listen, man, there is some, <laughs> there's some systemic crap going on the back end, some room somewhere. Hey, we're not going to teach kids about money. And this is why, you know, it's not that just we're not getting taught. It's like there are reasons why they're not wanting to get us taught. They're wanting to create a, a generation of just uh, of factory workers and employees. And, and they just want to keep everybody in line. And so I, I miss being in the classroom because I was one of the, those voices that that was against all of that crap i miss being there for that reason but right now man it's like a drop of water in the ocean there's i don't even know that my voice would make a difference no i i feel that i feel that and so you're you give yourself this deadline and it seems like you made it happen right what does this look like how does this journey tra transform well so my deadline uh was august the 15th 2011 and and uh, I had the pitch of my life on August the 12th. I had this big pitch at a hospital and uh, I was pitching to the, the senior, what was his title? Like he was vice president of facilities or something. Remember, remember Herman Cain, remember the guy who ran for president, black guy, real deep voice. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. I think he owned Godfather's pizza. That was his deal. But, but uh, he, he passed away, I think last year, year before last, but, but um, the guy that I was pitching to, like the VP, looked like Herman Cain, like talk like him, look like him. Great. His name was John. And, and so he was sitting across from me at this this conference room table. And if you could imagine this conference room table being, you know, it's probably 15 feet long and it was five or six feet wide. And, and I'm sitting here on this side at the end of the table, looking across the table at this guy on the, on the short side of the table. 
and 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 I have my 11 inch white MacBook on the on the table between us, and it was so far away from me and him, like it was in the middle of the table. I had to reach over and hit the space bar to go through slides because I didn't know what a clicker was. I didn't have the technology. The CFO of the hospital is sitting down at the other end of the table with binoculars just so he can see the screen. It, it's just the worst setup of any sales pitch you've ever seen in your life. But nevertheless, I get halfway through, through two thirds of the way through the sales pitch and, and, and Herman Cain stops me and says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He says, uh, he goes, has anybody ever told you no? And uh, for the sales people out there listening, that is a great question for a prospect to ask you in the middle of a sales call. But he says, anybody ever told, has told you no? And I said, no, sir, they haven't. Now, what I didn't tell him is that he's the first person I've ever asked. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, it, but then he followed up and said, well, why wouldn't I do this? And again, for salespeople, that is a fantastic question for your prospect to ask you. And he says, why wouldn't I do this? And I said, I don't know. Why wouldn't you? And so he looks down at the CFO at the end of the table, his CFO, and he says, do you trust these guys? And he goes, yeah, I trust them. And then he looked, he turned, he turned and looked back at me. And then he looked at the CFO again and said, write the man a check. And I swear that is exactly what happened that day. And on the ride down the elevator, it was, uh, it was like, holy crap, this actually worked. We, we, we did it. We proved that this is going to work. And then that was the beginning of building a multi-million dollar business that I now I still own to this day, but it uh, it was a wild ride. Exciting, exciting uh, beginnings. Yeah, man. That was like a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, need, to do a, need to do a documentary on that. <laughs> I tell you, I love telling that story because it's it's a hundred percent true. And people who are salespeople love it because they're like, holy crap, he asked that question. Yes, he did. And how did that work? And it's it, it, but it's true. Uh, like I didn't embellish any of that. That is exactly what happened. Now you you alluded a lot to the idea of like what uh salespeople may be able to appreciate. And so you started this company, and as the the founder yourself you place a heavy emphasis on sales no matter what, right? This is something that often a lot of people uh, will glaze over, but you it's one thing that even myself, I, I struggle with. It's not that I can't have that conversation. It's lining up the conversations, doing all that work beforehand. You sort of like didn't go into it in your story, but I imagine there was a lot of work to get into that room. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, just like with anything else, I mean, the, the the setup the lead up is 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 more important than the actual the, the the production value at the end like if you don't set it up right none of the stuff at the end matters but yeah we'd had we'd had lots of meetings with the with the engineers on staff at the hospital i had been, i'd flown out and met with lighting manufacturers i'd i'd negotiated pricing with with uh with installers and electricians i mean i'd done a ton a ton of work leading into that room and uh, that room is where it began to pay off. And of course, there's this moment in the sales, like you you build all this up and you get all the work, lay the groundwork, then you pitch it and they're like, agree. Okay, that's fantastic. But now you got to, now you got to execute. Now you got to pull it off. You actually got to go and do the work. And so, you know, that was the middle of the journey in that particular project, because we still had to pull it off, still had to do all the work. And, uh, it, it, you know, none of that's easy. If it were easy, everybody would do it. And it's not easy. That's why I know that's why very few people do it. Yeah, man. Uh, I want to take the time right now to go ahead and uh, allow Jason to uh, interject and share his thoughts and so far what you've been sharing. Yeah. 
sales is a love hate relationship, right? So it's, uh, you know, I've done tons and tons of sales I, for our agency. I used to do 500 to a million dollars worth of sales a month um, on my own. And I think every business owner has to master that, right? That's the thing. Maybe not master it, but you've had to have gone through that shit sandwich with it, right? <laughs> and, uh, and went through that process of doing it because it makes you a better business owner, right? And then when you have people asking questions like they were asking you, those are buyer questions right there. <laughs> so, so we in sales, you love hearing questions like that because you know that train's going the right direction at that point. So um, it's, it's interesting because we've had a couple of different like uh, sales companies on the podcast and he, even some, uh, well, Reggie, Reggie uh, was on the podcast a while ago and he was telling us the story about how he came out of the NFL and decided to sell makeup. <laughs> so you imagine this big brute NFL player walking into your store. Hey, you want to buy some makeup? <laughs> and, but he put himself through that because he knew it would make him a better business owner. Yeah. And, and that's the cool thing. Most really highly successful business owners have been through that. My neighbor, he's a previous CEO of Oracle. And he was steeped in sales, big time. And he said, if you don't know how to sell, you can't run a company. Not scalable anyway. Yeah, and I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good stuff, man. Now, I love the story. The story yeah. is awesome. <laughs> so you get the check. We talked about sort of the lead up and how you got to line it up or the dominoes don't fall. Uh, we talk about the fulfillment aspect that most people also forget is a real part. It's not just the agreeing right now. You actually have to deliver the goods and then rinse, wash and repeat uh, while you scale the business. Now, you made a deal with yourself that the minute that you could actually make a certain amount before you got your last check from the county that you had a promise. To, okay, fine. Otherwise I'll go get a job at anywhere. Right. Which is, uh, it just speaks also to the grit, right? You're like, well, I got to do what I got to do. If it means Starbucks, if it means McDonald's, whatever. So the story takes off. You're doing this. You close that deal. I'm sure that, I don't know if that, that that's the first deal, if I remember correctly, you saying, right. So where did things go from you? Cause you obviously scaled up and exploded. What, what happened? <laughs> Well, when you, uh, when you start a company, um, you know, you've got to prove the concept first and the proof of concept happens when one person decides, yes, I'll buy what you're selling. I'll do what you're asking. And that proves that it in fact will, will work. Now you don't know how successfully it'll work, but, but it proves at least to somebody, one person has bought it. So, so from that point, we just leveraged those relationships and that opportunity into others. So then we'd go, okay, go to the next hospital. Hey, we just, we just did this project over here at this hospital. We can do the same for you. Here's how much money we're saving them. Here's what it worked out. So you just continue to build that. And, and you do lots of cold calling. I got another great sales story. 
one one of our one of our customers was uh, I, I won't I won't say who it is, but one of our customers is a national international company clothing brand, and they have a very large distribution center here locally where I live. And I remember driving by this distribution center, and we're talking like almost three million square feet. And I remember driving by it one day. This is shortly after the after the hospital thing had either happened or it was in the process of happening. And I remember driving by that and, and Googling the name of the, the manufacturer. And while I'm in the car, I'm just Googling, trying to find a phone number. I thought I'm going to call these people. And I couldn't like six pages deep in Google before I found any phone number related to that, that company. And I, and I hit, I hit the button to call, just, just highlighted the number and hit call. And I figured, you know, who, whoever answers, I'm going to do my deal. And the person answered the phone. They just said, IT. That's all they said. So I had found an internal number to their IT department somehow. And uh, so the guy answers the phone, says IT. And I say, hey, man, uh, my name is Jason. I live here in the, in the in the town and I pass by your building every day. I've got a really weird question for you. He's like, okay, what? I said, how much is your electric bill? And he said, what? And I said, yeah, I mean, you, you guys are huge. How, how much is your electric bill? It's got to be a, it's got to be a big number. Click hangs up on me. And which I guess is to be expected. So then I, I thought, oh, I'm going to call back. So I'll call it back. And uh, so IT, <laughs> different person, uh, different person answers. And I say, hey, I just got disconnected. I was asking, and I, I kind of repeated my story. And he goes, well, hold on a minute. And he put me on hold for what seemed like forever. And he comes back on the phone. And he goes, hey, you need to talk to, and I don't remember the name of the lady, but also Sheila. He said, you need to talk to Sheila in accounting. Like, okay, can you can you transfer me? Sure. So you transfer me. And Sheila's voicemail comes on. And again, you know, I'm supposed to leave sales calls on voicemail in the middle of the day, but I did. So Sheila's voicemail comes on and I said, Hey, my name is Jason. I live here in town. I'm just curious, how much is your electric bill? I just I know it's a weird question, but here's my phone number calling back. And I forget all about it. Two weeks pass, nothing happened. And I get a phone call from another guy named Eric. And he says, he says to me, he says, Hey, I understand you, you were calling about our electric bill at, you know, at this, at our company, blah, blah, blah. He goes, how can I help you? <laughs> and I said, okay, well, this is why I'm calling blah, blah, blah. And he told me how much the electric bill was. And I said, if I could show you how to save X number of percent or X number of dollars on that um, with doing led lighting in your facility, would you give me 30 minutes to sit down and talk with you? And he goes, sure. <laughs> and so that turned out to be one of our biggest customers ever. And we ended up doing, I forget how many millions of dollars with them over the several years and doing lots of their distribution centers across the country. But that, that's, we have to be good at sales. We've got to get out there and have the grit, the determination that that we we can solve people's problems. They would just give us the opportunity to sit down and talk to them about it. I love it, man. You had another good example of what most people aren't willing to do. I, I, I include myself. Like, And I think it's because you understand the value prop of what you're doing so clearly, right? You know, you can save people money. That goes without saying. The question is, are people willing to listen to a conversation about how they can save the money, right? And mm -hmm. your, your safe assumption is, well, yeah, who doesn't want to save money, right? And you went out of your way. You even got hung up on where most people would have been like, yeah, this is, why am I even going, uh, this is dumb. Why would I think that, uh, right? Instead, you were like, okay, yeah, I just got disconnected. Can you, can you tell me, oh, yeah, you want to talk to Sheila? Great. Yeah, put me in touch. 
I think that just speaks so much to the way that you saw the value that you were bringing into the marketplace, right? And I feel like a lot of people don't take the time to really understand just how impactful they're going to be to businesses. And so they try to convince people that they are valuable as opposed to knowing that they are and having a, a discussion about whether or not it just seems to be a right fit for the way that we're talking to each other. It seems like we can work with each other, right? Because I feel like that's what ended up happening was, yeah, it seems like I've got some, you've got something, we've got something, let's keep it going. And most people spend a lot of their early part of their business journey trying to convince people that they're valuable at all, right? Is this is this sort of safe to say? Oh, yeah. I, I think we don't believe enough in our offer. If you don't believe in your offer, you need to quit. <laughs> um, you know, I, I run a mastermind now called the Exeter Club, and it's not for everybody. But if I think it's for you, I'm going to make a I'm going to make a run at trying to get you into the club. And it's not because I want to make money, although I do. Um, it's because I believe that I believe that it'll deliver tremendous value and it'll get you you and your life to a place where you really want to be. That's why I do what I do. And if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be so adamant about trying to get you to join. So if you don't believe in your offer, then you got a problem. And if you truly believe that your offer will change someone's life and you're not pitching it to someone, you're doing a disservice to everybody you know who could benefit from it. Yeah, man. That's so true. <laughs> Jason, yeah, yeah, uh, Jason Miller, do you have any thoughts? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's the, the cool thing about it is, is we go through life half the time and we go through life with blinders on and we have all these opportunities that move in front of us. And sometimes we see them, sometimes we don't. And, you know, most, and I think it happens to everybody. It's not just people that own, own businesses currently. I think it's part of the human condition that we have opportunities that come in front of us every day. It's whether or not we're conditioned to answer the call to them or not. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what really defines somebody from being a employee versus a business owner, entrepreneur, CEO, whatever the hell you want to call yourself. Um, and everybody has the capacity to do it, but we've been trained not to over time. Right. I mean, my parents, they were entrepreneurs, but I don't think they looked at each they didn't really look at it like they were. They just looked at it like they just had to put food on the table. It wasn't about, well, I'm a business owner or I'm an entrepreneur or I'm a CEO or any of that kind of stuff. The only reason they did it was because that's what was available in my crappy little town that I grew up in. <laughs> so <laughs> that was the option. So, but, you know, that's what's cool about this story is it's born out of a disaster and a lot of a lot of business owners were born out of that yeah for sure well, I, I call myself i call myself an accidental entrepreneur because yeah, yeah. um you know I, I had a little lawn mowing business that i was mowing grass at the, you know when all that went down around the same amount of time i was just making extra money to pay for tuition for my kids school but it, it, I, I didn't consider myself an entrepreneur but it wasn't until I was forced to make a decision. And that that's actually one, one of my mindset coach that I work with, Dr. Justin Mosley. He was telling me this just this week. We're talking about how if you can imagine for a minute, you know, you're 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 in this bubble uh and everything, all of your awareness 
you know, your emotions, what you're aware is possible, what you experience, it's all in this, this bubble. So if you can imagine you, you know, like a stick figure drawn in this, just a circle around the stick figure, and then you're the stick figure and every, all your current awareness and emotions, everything is there, your mindset. But there's this other bubble that's outside of that, that has all these extra possibilities that you can't see until the first bubble pops. And so for me in 2010, 2011, that's when that first bubble popped for me. I was making $38,000 a year as a school teacher. Thought I would be doing that for the rest of my life and was happy. So it wasn't like I was missing out on something. I didn't, I didn't realize that one day I'd be a millionaire and I'd be doing multiple podcasts as a guest every day. I'd be doing my own podcast and have hundreds of episodes and you know, so many amazing entrepreneurs that writing a book and leading a mastermind and coaching people who pay me a hundred thousand dollars a year to sit down with me and get my advice. Like I wouldn't, that wasn't even in the first bubble. It didn't even, it didn't even occur to me it was possible. And so our mindset should be that, okay, I'm, I accept the fact I'm in this bubble, but I want to, I want to associate with people in other bubbles so that I can figure out how we can work together. And eventually my bubble will pop and I'll start realizing there's more, oh, there's more. Oh, wow. That, I didn't even know that was, that is even a possibility. So that's what I love about doing what I'm doing. Cause I think most entrepreneurs are stuck in their businesses, which is why I teach them how to get out. Cause they don't even realize that what it would look like when they get out. I just think it's so poetic that like you started off as a teacher regardless, and now you're still doing that just on a different <laughs> scale. You know, uh, the, the irony isn't lost on me, man. <laughs> and I, I, I love it, man. I think, I think what you're doing is great. I can hear it in you. There's a clarity, a sense of purpose when you speak. Um, for me, all those are, are all time highs. So if, if you could say anything to your younger self, knowing what you know now, let's say what you know now. And you get a chance to run into the you that was setting that deadline, that promise. All right, man, if I don't get it by then, I got to figure something out. What would you say to yourself now, knowing that you were that person trying to make that decision and that promise? Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, this, this, this is an interesting question. And, and, you know, if I was just talking to my 18-year-old self, not the guy that was at that crossroad decision, but if I tell my 18-year-old self, I'd say a few things. Number one, invest in real estate as soon as possible. <laughs> I think you should do that. Number two, when you hear about this thing called Bitcoin, everything you got put in it. <laughs> uh, but 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 reality, I would tell I tell my younger self to read, think, and grow rich, and and deeply apply everything you read. Do not skip anything. And uh, but that's Absolutely. what I tell my younger self. There it is. Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. You know, as a matter of fact, I got it right here on this is the workbook. This is hey. the workbook. This is the workbook. Um, you know how that game, they have a game. They just came out with a game called Think and Grow Rich. I just I ordered it. It should be here. I think it should be here next Tuesday. Like um, a board game, huh? Like a board game. Yeah, like wow. a board game. You know, because uh, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad started his board yeah. game. The book was the instructions to the board game. And uh, so so I've got I've ordered both those games because my son who's 22. He's starting to like become aware of this stuff. And he's reading these books. He's like, Hey dad, can I invite all my friends over and you help us play this game? So I'm like, yeah, we can do that. So I think I would tell my younger self to do those things. Yeah. Real estate. Um, the Bitcoin thing is kind of funny, but yeah, that would be a, a star starship rocket ship to multi billions of dollars. If you just knew ahead of time, uh, which is one of the reasons I believe that time travel doesn't exist because those people would exist. Um, but uh, but I think going back to my myself at that that crossroads of making that decision, I, uh, what I would tell myself is do not take 
on the partnership the way that I did. Uh, that was a big mistake I made. Um, the the rest of the story on that day that I got that deal and I pitched and I won it. Um, the rest of the story is I had a partner who was a five percent partner at the time, but very wealthy person himself, and and he he was kind of my mentor at that moment. And when he saw what happened in that room on the way drive home, he negotiated himself into almost fifty percent ownership of the company, and uh, with no real duties on a day-to-day basis because he saw that this was going to be a, a moonshot that's going to work. And, um, you know, that turned into a, <laughs> turned into a bad situation and it was fine for seven years. We did fine. Cause I didn't, I didn't know any better, but as I became more conscious of what entrepreneurship was and business ownership and how things should be, uh, I, I, uh, was breaking, broke the law of the architect, which I know you guys know about. Also, uh, I created a criminal exchange, um, and I, and I suffered dearly as a result of that. So that is a decision I would have made different. Mm. Man, all powerful stuff. And thank you for sharing that too, because a lot of people, especially early on, I, I know I myself have made some pretty bad deals early on for <laughs> a number of things. And I, I don't think, I don't think you can step into the world of business and not have that under your belt. There's just no way to avoid making at least one or two bad deals that everyone looks back on and goes, yeah, I should have done that a little differently. And once you're there, you find your way to some really good people, which I imagine you're surrounded by now. Um, and in the spirit of that, I hope it's a, it's okay to take a quick break just to talk about somebody that made uh, this episode today possible, if that's all right with you. Uh, we've got sharing the credit. And, and what sharing the credit as a company does is every time someone swipes a debit or a credit card at your business, whether you're using Visa or MasterCard, you're paying a fee. Like there's no way around that. But one of those fees actually goes back into a system like normally a bank, but you have the legal chance and opportunity to be able to send it over to a nonprofit instead. That's the way things are structured. And you get to choose which one you want to. Now you get to choose whether you keep feeding the fat cats or you can do some good in the world. And all you have to do is visit sharingthecredit.com or call 877-201-7215 and you can make that a reality and start putting that thing you do every single day. It's something you do every day. You can change it to make it powerful and do something good in the world and not pay banks something they really shouldn't be getting. In fact, that should be an automatic process, but we're in the works of that and sharing the credit is making that possible. Uh, so thank you so much for that. And with that said, we've great, arrived. Re- really great company and also coin carrier. Nobody else is going to know what that means on this call, but that's okay. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And uh, with that said, we've arrived, I think, to the time where we can start talking about the grand finale question. And just before I do that, I want to check in with Jason because uh, with Jason Miller, because what Jason Duncan has been sharing has been powerful. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's roll it out. So the real Jason Duncan, if you could have invited anybody, your 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 pick of the litter, any time, point, place in the world. Who would you have loved to have had here to listen into the conversation, maybe even contribute? And why them? You know, I knew you were going to ask this question, and <laughs> it has been rolling around in the back of my mind the whole time we've been talking. And and I don't 
you know, I don't know. Cause I've had the questions like, Hey, if you could just go visit somebody and meet somebody anytime, any place, who would that be? But just like, who would I invite to listen to this conversation? You know, I think maybe, maybe, um, my grandfather who had the, the, the food, food truck, you know, that, cause he died in 1997, which was way before I got even started teaching school. He died before he saw any of this. He didn't see and then my other grandfather, he passed away when I was 13. So they both been, they both knew nothing about my professional career or anything that I was doing. So uh, one of my grandfathers or both to sit in and listen and then just have that conversation about what that looks like and what I'm doing now and talk about their great grandkids. And <laughs> so that's probably what it would be. Yeah, man. No, I, I get a real strong sense of family values from you. I think I also understand why you went into teaching. You know, uh, it's clear to me that you care about people and I can see why uh, that partnership had such an impact on you because, you know, you go around caring for people and you find out people may not have had the same intentions, what that does to somebody with a heart like that. You know what I mean? But you've clearly come out on top and that's because, you know, that's what karma does when you're doing good in the world, man. That's the, that's the exchange that takes place. And uh, I'm really happy to see that you're out there helping people achieve the very same success that, that you've uh, been able to accomplish and are still developing and pushing further to see exactly what the bounds and limits of potential really are. Uh, it's, it's truly a case in point where you've been able to help emphasize moments that people really need to value in terms of their journey and what the sales process looks like and where they can get themselves going in business and and a true case study for rejection and being okay with that and jumping on anyways because you assume best intent and go huh, they, they must have accidentally hung up on me i'll go ahead and call back again I, and i think that attitude is going to be so important for people to carry with them and if they forgot that and they're having a hard time in their business well, remember, that's just part of the process and you got to be okay with that. And that's what I learned from and was reminded of from having a conversation with you. So that those are my two cents. I'm going to let uh, Jason Miller close this out as his tradition here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a true case of, and, and it's always been a philosophy of mine, and that is give value for however long it takes, right? And when you do that, Things just fall in line. Not if you build it, they will come. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but I'm saying, you know, value is always the trump card for everything. And the more value you can dump, the better off you will be. And, you know, we just had something fantastic happen in the last two weeks with the American Club Association. We're taking over as their executive board. And it was all hush until last night when Forbes published that relationship on Forbes. Um, and I, I got to tell you, it's the biggest deal I've ever been involved in in my life, right? And I'm not even sure what it's going to be yet. But what I do know is I poured value on that conversation for about nine months. And here it is today. The relationship was forged in a handshake and it got picked up by Forbes. Forbes put it, put it all together. And now we just get to continue to dump value in the world in a way bigger way. And to me, it's what it's all about. You work yourself up the, you work yourself up that those rungs 
So you can continue to help more and more people and dump more and more value in the market. That's the win right there. And I know that's what you're doing, brother. So keep on doing it. Thank you, man. And congratulations to you. Yeah, it's awesome. Good stuff. Thanks for being on the show. Appreciate you taking the time to be here. I know we got, we all got lots of stuff going on. So thanks for stopping by and taking about 40 minutes of your time out of your busy schedule and uh, dropping some knowledge bombs on our guests. Thanks for letting me be here, man. Yeah, man. Cheers. Cool. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.